Welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. I'm a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads. We currently travel, live, and work in our 39-foot RV. It's very rare that as I'm recording, I am actually in a physical home and not our RV office. And uh, we were just chatting before we got going here with my guest, Damien, and we said, man, we're looking forward to getting back in the RV. I want to make sure before I introduce our guest, make sure that you listen to the end of the podcast. First of all, there's a lot of great things we're going to be discussing. You don't want to jump off until we're done, but we will include ways that you can continue the conversation we start today by connecting with us directly. So make sure you stick around to the end. Today, we have Damian Ross as our guest. He is the founder and publisher of Rootless Living Magazine. And as I said just a few minutes ago, my wife, myself, my son, even my daughter and son-in-law, they are huge fans of this magazine. So I'm excited to be able to talk to him today. It is first class, world class, excellent. And we're going to talk a great deal about that. He is also the host of the Rootless Living podcast. The magazine's tagline is travel, work and explore. And as I said earlier, we consider ourselves nomads. And this magazine podcast is a great resource for those that are living the nomadic lifestyle, or that desire to live that way somewhat someday, or that really just like to live vicariously through people that are out traveling and exploring the world. Damien, welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. How are you today? I'm doing really good, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. Maybe yeah. Yeah, great to have you. All right, first question I like to ask, and then I'm going to get into particulars like where are you and what's going on with you and all. But I like to ask people after I do the bio, you know, give me an elevator pitch. What do you do if someone walks up to you and says you don't know them? What do you do? Yeah, I think I would let people know that I live full time in an RV and I publish a magazine really about the lifestyle of being rootless. And usually using that term will bring up questions, you know, what is rootless? And and I can really break it down, but we, uh, we publish a print and digital publication and we have a podcast that we basically showcase other nomads. And I think the one thing that I love about our magazine is for nomads by nomads. It's not the, the Damien and Nikki show. It's really about showcasing other people that are living. Yeah. And, and the great thing about that is you are living that lifestyle. You are not, um, like you said, for nomads and by nomads, you're, you're a nomad yourself, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've been for uh, just over three years now. Three years. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. This is kind of a, maybe a little bit of a sidebar, but when you tell people that you are living as a nomad or that you travel or that you live in an RV, what kind of responses do you typically get from people? Let's say that are outside what we do, you know, outside of our circles, what do people use it? How do they respond to you? Yeah, actually, when I first launched, I was working for another company doing sales and I really tried to include it in my sales. Once I saw that it bought so much interest where people were like, wait, explain it. And I was sending out emails. I always tried to say where I was and then people responded. I noticed your emails. You're always in a different place. I think most people say, oh, I want to do that someday. They have this like, even if Maybe they've never even thought of it. It just sounds really interesting to kind of get rid of everything, jump in a vehicle, and travel the country. Um, I haven't had really much negative about it. I've, I don't know, I've interviewed people that have had some negative with friends and family, but I never really experienced anything. And it's been amazing. I love it. it. You know, that's kind of the same response that we have gotten. 
is everybody is fascinated by it. And it's not as if anybody, like a lot of topics that you could bring up with people today, that you would get a very divided, oh my gosh, that's horrible. I could never do that. No, everyone, even if they admit they couldn't do it, they love the thought of it. Is that what your experience is? Yeah, I think for most people, I, I mean, I, I do think people see it through a very kind of, you know, blinder kind of lens. I think most full-time nomads are really only showing the highs. And in anyone else in any other kind of lifestyle, they are usually showing some of the highs down the low. So I think people think, you know, if I got into an RV and traveled the country, all my problems would go away. I'm like, no, because you're still going. You know, <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are, whether it's bricks or sticks or on wheels. And um, But I do think people do look at it and they just see it as, I, I hate to use the term vacation. I think they see it as that. And it's not what it is. There's moments like that for sure. Don't get me wrong. But it is just like living any other lifestyle. It's just a lot more freedom to it. You know, I don't like the snow. I can leave. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it is interesting where people think, number one, they think you're on vacation. Or the second thing is, is they think you're camping. Is that something you get quite a bit? Yeah. So in the beginning, I was a little self-conscious about it in the sense that, you know, I have a 41 foot fifth wheel and, <laughs> you know, staying at a state park, you know, and if anyone's listening that has a 41 foot fifth wheel and they only use it three or four times a year, please don't take offense to this. But I wanted people to know that I lived in this full time. This isn't what I need to go out for a weekend. You know, I'm good. I don't consider what I do camping. I have a, I don't know, a 50 inch plasma that goes up and down behind a fireplace. I've been camping. That's not it. And so I, I argue it all the time in a sense where I'm not camping. I, I have a condo that I pull with a truck. That's really what it is. I just happen to have lived in 44 states over the last three years. And, um, but other than that, I'm not camping and I'm, I'm not on vacation. I, I know when I take a vacation, even in this lifestyle, I know when I unplug and disconnect and I'm not worried about anything, but just relaxing. And to me, that's kind of the definition of vacation. Yeah, that's good. And maybe I can get some tips on you because my wife and I still struggle with knowing when we're actually on vacation and when we're actually working primarily because it seems as if we're working all the time, even though we are in cool spots and near national parks and things like that. Let's, uh, let's do some definitions before we get much further, because I, I think there's a term that some people may not be familiar with. I'm trying to kind of spread a wide net for the audience, for the person listening. And so can you define, you know, the tagline here for digital nomads by digital nomads, could you define with all the expertise and experience that you now have after three years coming out with a magazine that's probably, you know, the definitive information for this lifestyle. What is a digital nomad? Kind of tell people what that is. Yeah, I think it's really, it, it goes back to not having like a physical location that you're stuck in in a way. It doesn't mean you can't own property by any means. I don't want it to feel that way. It's just that you have the freedom to get up and go. And so I think what it really has more to do with is that you're just not tied to a nine to five kind of cubicle for me. You're not literally physically having to go in and out of an office in order to make your income. The other side of it is that you don't have the same place that you're living kind of every day. So you have this opportunity to work wherever you want to and live wherever you want to and kind of move as you want to. For me, I mean, historically, the, the nomad, like where I found it was in like just watching like a biker gang shows where it was basically, you know, you're still part of the gang, but you just don't have like a central location that you live and hang out with. You're still part of it, but you're just moving around. 
that's the first time I think I ever really heard the term nomad. Obviously, they're not digital nomads. They're not worried about trying to make income the way you and I do. But, you know, that's where it all comes into play is, is that you can work anywhere and you can live anywhere and you get to decide how little, how often, and what that is. I don't have any, there's no like we have to be traveling at least 200 days a year. There's nothing like that. We have to make X amount of income. I don't believe in any of those kind of parameters with the definition. It just means that you can work in there for a few Okay. And, and I'm going to go ahead and bridge kind of where the world is right now as we're recording this and all that's going on. Uh, we're recording this. The actual podcast may not come out till, you know, early fall, late summer, but we're recording kind of tail end of summer in 2020, where a lot of people have been told to work from home. A lot of people have been told, you know, we're, we're going to social distance through 2021 or beyond. You know, I think I just saw where Facebook's not even going to bring people back into the office until maybe mid 2021. So talk to me about some trends. Were we on the cutting edge? Are we like in front of something, a big wave that's about to occur or maybe not? Yeah. So what's funny is in 2016, um, I always make this joke that I thought I invented living in a RV full time and hitting the road because I didn't know anyone that did it. Yeah. It wasn't like I got influenced by following someone on Instagram. And quickly I learned that a lot of people do it. And a lot of people have been doing it for decades. Maybe not the digital side, but definitely the nomad side before even the internet. And so for me, what I have noticed is there are a lot of conversations with, well, now that I'm working from home, I'm really learning that I want a remote job. I think that's the biggest obstacle. And if you have kids, the second biggest obstacle for people is homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And I think what everyone's getting a little taste right now is working always from home remote and then also homeschooling. And it's, maybe they're figuring out this is something they can do. I do hope some of the benefits that come out of this, whether people become nomads or not, is I do hope that remote work really upsets because I've always, you know, I mean, like customer service jobs, like you really have to go in and sit at a cubicle. That'd be a perfect job for someone in an RV. You know, you just park where you are, clock in at nine, take out your headset, start answering customer service calls, five o'clock, you clock out, you know, and you move on the weekend. There's no reason to go into an office. So I, I hope that's a big positive. I will say that people are looking at this lifestyle for a vacation in ways that I don't remember, where now it's instead of flying in a hotel, they're like, I'd much rather rent an RV or buy an RV and have that kind of freedom to take the vacation so we can control the environment. And that if airplanes you know, go back to your restrictions or hotels do, they still can have their vacations and still really social distance themselves. Right. Yeah. Just with so many things going on, I believe, I I agree with you. I think the work from somewhere else other than an office or a cubicle, it's, it's going to increase. We don't know to what level. I think some companies are going to pull people back and want to keep control, but I do think there are a lot of, a lot of options there. So, which kind of leads to the biggest question that we get after people ask, how do you, you know, how do you do that? And are you on vacation? Are you camping? And that is a question that uh, we get. And I'm just going to kind of ask you, because I love to get responses. Talk to me about internet. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever, do you ever, is, is that something with you like us that you have just a little bit of anxiety about when you pull in somewhere new? I did. I had a lot more anxiety when I worked in someone else 
because good point. I was very much if they couldn't get a hold of me, this was a bad thing. Even though I was a salary sales commission physician, so obviously it's in my best interest to be able to connect with people, but it was just the wrong company to be remote and remote in a rig for sure. It was great for me. It was great for the sales process, but for whatever reason, you use the word control. I think that is you're going to find out really quick what type of company you work for if remote can become an option. And if it's not becoming an option, it's probably because of some sort of micromanagement kind of control that they just can't handle. Um, now it's more, I, I have a little side project I do where I upload a video every day. And so that can be kind of frustrating when it's not internet, but it's not nearly the, the frustration that it once was. And, uh, my travel partner and partner in business, Nikki, she handles kind of the internet. That's like first thing, she'll scope it out ahead of time, make sure there's going to be a good enough connection. And, you know, we have both AT&T and Verizon and we are able to go back and forth one away. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not as stressful when you work for yourself, which is funny because, you know, I still want to make money. I still want to be connected. I still, I still have stuff to do, but it's not like someone's getting mad at me because I don't have internet, you know, and it's a big difference. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to to hire Nikki if she could handle internet for more people. That'd be awesome. So good, it's good to have good to have Nikki there for you. Um, you know, we're kind of the same way. We noticed that about a third of the places we've been, the the Wi-Fi locally there may work for us. Third of the time, it's an AT and T hotspot that we've got with some unlimited stuff, and then we've got a Verizon that's sort of an unlimited, and so we can kind of bounce and. Very similar to you, it was the same way. My wife worked for a company out of Silicon Valley for really our first 14 months. And and she, I was the Wi-Fi guy, I was the internet guy. She would somewhat be a little stressed if she couldn't kind of get set up, get on her video calls and appear to look um, professional and, you know, not get dropped, even though people all over the place were getting dropped. So, you know, it's not as if just because you're in an RV that, internet's bad there are a lot of people that are sitting in homes right now that their internet's pretty horrible also so i would say in the three years i've only had two or three spots that had no internet connection like say at the campground right even with a wee booth there's nothing i could do like, most yeah. i just worked out of a starbucks but i will say on a lot of my especially with my former employee a lot of my zoom calls the people that were in the bricks and sticks they were the ones getting dropped and i was like this is so funny because you know again i'm out in a rural area might be close to a tower. There's not a lot of people pulling bandwidth, but where they are in Los Angeles and California, everyone's trying to use all the bandwidth that there is. And even though it's DSL going right into their house, they would be the ones that drop. And it always made me laugh. And I got this little box that I'm staying more connected than you guys. How's that possible? So it can be stressful, but you just, it's just one of those things. You can't really control it. Maybe one day we'll have really great satellite internet or no matter where you are. And that'll really change the game. Because obviously internet Portable internet has really changed the game. I don't, know, I don't know about you. I couldn't work on the road without internet. There's yeah. just no way I'd be able to do it. Yeah. No, I mean, because so. I'm, I'm doing podcasts and, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach. So all of my clients are Zoom calls. I mean, I, I lived on Zoom before Zoom became the hottest thing ever. So, hey, one thing I'd love to do is I'd like to back up just a little bit because I kind of like to know a little bit of people's journeys that have led them to things like, uh, you know, Rootless Living and the magazine and the brand that you're creating. And I just want to kind of give people a glimpse of some questions I'm going to ask later. And I'm going to ask you some questions about how the magazine came to be. 
I believe, did you do a Kickstarter? What didn't you do a Kickstarter? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think we participated and, and kind of jumped on that. And so I'm going to ask some specific questions about how well that worked for you and give us some tips and pointers. Cause we got business people I know that would love to learn about that. But the first thing I like to do is kind of go backwards and find out how you kind of arrived at where you are. So could you back up maybe prior to three years ago and just give us a little bit of background? And I know, I know you've, you know, you got some family and some, and some, some children and things. And then, and then you kind of got to a point where you could go mobile. I've listened to your story and some, some background on you, but why don't you give, why don't you give the listener some of that background so that we can understand how someone comes into this lifestyle and then we're going to progress to how you create and build a business like you're building while you're being, while you're a nomad. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to 2014 really quick. Uh, it was one day afternoon. I was having a meeting with the CEO of the company I was director of marketing with. We're making plans for a Vegas trade show. We have to go to that's about three or four months away. Really great conversation. Great lunch. We always had a really good time. Uh, two days later on a Friday, I walk in at 8 a.m. and I'm being my family. Uh, that was the amount of notice I got, nothing. And, I mean, they gave me a little severance package, but at the time I was, you know, I still had custody of two of my four kids. My two older kids had already you know, grown and moved out. So I was a single dad with two kids. Um, and it rocked my world. And it, it, even though it didn't really affect me until almost two years later, you know, again, trying to find employment, working for people, should I start my own thing again? By 2016, I went homeless for like 90 days. I literally had to give up my place. There just wasn't enough income coming in. I wasn't going to hurt my credit by not being able to pay my rent. Um, I had to displace my kids. Uh, one with a high school teammate that my, my younger son was playing ball with. And then my youngest daughter went to go live like between her grandmother and godparents for a little while. It only lasted 90 days. I got a new job and then, you know, moved into a new place. But instantly I realized just how upside down I was in regard to, you know, just it's crazy that if you lose any kind of real income, especially living in LA, Orange County, California, you're upside down quick. And it was a, it was instantly about that time that I was like, I, I, I just don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to live. I was watching Fixer Upper. Everything was like 50 grand. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't even build a garage for 50 grand. You could buy this 20 acre property. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So that was the idea was uh, when my younger son graduated high school in May of 2017, I was going to leave. You know, 2017, I was gone. My youngest daughter was really asking to live with her mom her senior year of high school. And it kind of worked out. It was like, okay, well, this worked out perfect. And it actually even worked out even perfectly because the mom moved into my place and I moved out into an RV. And so the kids didn't even have to move. So it just, it just all worked out really good. Luke was starting his first year in college kind of a thing. So it just it was a perfect plan. It worked out great. Um, I immediately, because I had done magazines in the past, I had a skate magazine in the 90s and a city publication in the city I lived in before the 2008 kind of crash. I immediately went in 2016, like, let me find a magazine about this lifestyle. Once I found out so many people were doing it, all these YouTube channels, I was blown away. There wasn't. I mean, there's, there's membership kind of programs, and they have a magazine with it, but it's more about the membership and the members than it is about kind of the lifestyle. And I was blown away that there wasn't one. And it, that already went there, but I wasn't full-time yet. I knew I couldn't just get in there and, you know, even though I could be kind of a content DJ in a way, I just wasn't living the lifestyle. I wouldn't really have a real platform to really understand. And I would probably be putting out stuff that just wasn't great because I didn't have the experience myself. Um, I had a remote job that I got in 2016. And I immediately told them, even in the interview, I'm moving to Texas. And that was the plan. I'm just 
you know, going to pick things up and detect this. I don't know how the idea of getting in an RV came up. Nikki and I talk about it all the time. But we don't know where it came from. We just know in October of 2016, we were at an RV trade show in California. And in April, we purchased one, put it in storage for a little while. And literally, June 1st, we loaded up and we've been on the road since. I'd never owned an RV before. I'd never done RV camping before. I'd never pulled anything 40 foot before. <laughs> I had none of that experience. I just knew. Did you have a truck? Did you, did you have the truck? No, I, I, I had a little Lexus SUV. But <laughs> we, had to, yeah, we had to ground up. We bought a new rig, but a used truck. And, I, you know, again, California, I just wanted a warranty. Like, that's, that's my mindset. Rather than buying used, I want to buy new with a warranty. Again, it's stuff you learn later on once you've done it for a while. Um, we got really lucky in the sense that we, I had to do a little bit of a road trip, leave California, go to Utah and Arizona. I had to come back for California for a conference. And I thought, well, I'd just be a good little starter loop and figure it out. And yeah. I knew instantly. And I was still kind of hiding it from my work. They knew I wanted to move, but I hadn't told them really I was going to full-time in an RV. Because really still at that point, the idea was just go to Texas and just live around in different parts of Texas and figure out where I wanted to live. I didn't know. And... Um, what I was, the mistakes I made at the beginning is I had to go to a lot of trade shows and conferences for my work, and I tried to drive to those and stay nearby. And it just, I think the first 15 weeks, we were in like 15 states. We were just moving so fast and so rapid, and it was insane that we just finally got to the place where it's like, we're going to travel at our pace, and I'll fly into those events like I normally would have any. You know? yeah. And that really helped, and it helped slow it down. We're going to figure it out. Because at that pace, we would have burnt out so bad. Um, yeah, and then 18, uh, kind of a similar situation. I was doing sales. Um, I was working for a conference. We're about six months out to the conference. Normally, I've never had goals. I've been with the company for two years. I never even really set, like, here's a sales goal. And it was basically, like, in a August situation. It's like, oh, here's a goal you have to hit by October 1 and November 1. And if you don't hit it, it's not going to be good. And I was like, well, it's not going to be. I'm going to get fired. Not good and it was a goal that was probably about 200% more than I did the year before I missed it by 40% but I still did so much more than I did the previous year but still not close enough and they let me go they were like all right well maybe it's just this isn't a good fit and um that next year is when Mickey and I just really started talking about it what about doing the magazine what do you think about it and really discussing I took way too long you know when you talk about go I was really slow for whatever reason and uh, we launched it in January, but we announced it in November. And as soon as we announced it, people asked if they were going to have print copies as well. Our plan was not to do any print. All the real overhead copies in the print. And we just thought if you're a digital publication, you've got the skill set, I know how to lay it out, she knows how to handle all the editing and getting the writers and content. We just, it's a perfect team. And we're like, this would be easy to do if we don't bring on print. But we had so many people asking us. And I was surprised. I'm like, you're digital nomads. Why do you want something to print? Why do you want something mailed? Uh, you know, yeah, um, just let me say, because so that people kind of understand, we travel. We're residents of South Dakota. We have a mailbox there that about once a month, we forward all our mail to us. So, so a physical copy for me, even though as much as I would love to touch it, I love print. You know, there's a cost that comes to me more than that. So I, I do want to say the digital aspect of it is phenomenal. I want to I want to back up just a second before we dive into the magazine because I do want to get into that story. 
But there's one thing you mentioned that I want to I want to dig just a little bit because it sounds so familiar to me. In 2013, my wife and I became homeless. We used the term nomad because it sounded better than homeless, but we were essentially homeless. We had all of our businesses from 08 that were real estate related had disintegrated and we had lost our home and filed bankruptcy, things like that. We've shared that story here on the podcast. But I, I've gone back to think about this, and I want to ask this question of you. I've wondered if we would have made, I'll say the drastic lifestyle changes, if it weren't for that catalytic event. As a business coach, I always see people that there's two ways that people change. One, there's this intense focus and decision to make a change, or there's this external sort of catalytic event that forces change, you know, a relative dies or there's a sickness or job loss and all. And I would love to think that we may have made that adjustment on our own, but I've come to the conclusion that I don't think we would have. What would you say to that? Well, I mean, that event, going back to just the specific event of being homeless, where would you be today if for some reason you would have not gone through that one situation? I think I'd still be striving for this false idea of the American dream where it has to be 3,500 square feet, three-car garage, maybe at least two cars in the garage, pool, all this overhead that, you know, 80% of my income is going to just living. And I, I had a real mind shift. And I think a lot of it had to do with when I, I moved in about 90 days difference. So I moved out of this place. and I got rid of so much stuff. And then I moved into the new place. And I put a lot of that stuff in the garage. And when I left, 90 days, well, it was about a year and a half after that that we, that we left on the road. I still had all that stuff that I hadn't even used in a year and a half. And I was like, what's going on? I'm just like, I'm not a hoarder. It wasn't like hoarding type stuff. It was just, that, well, you never know. You might need a concrete chisel at some point. <laughs> I'm renting an apartment. I'm not going yeah. to have to do concrete work anymore, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and once I got rid of everything, I really felt like it, I'm a guy that, you know, only has a couple pairs of shirts and, you know, maybe two pairs of jeans. Like yesterday was the first time I wore pants in 2020. No one shorts. So every day I had to go meet with clients. I'd actually put a face on. It was the weirdest thing. So for me, I don't know if, I think the going homeless shifted me. I need to get out of California. I just, I wasn't taking advantage of California the way that I needed to be there. If you're in the industry or if you're a surfer or something like that, it makes sense to be there. If you're not, there's a lot of amazing places where you can live and work and, and not be so over-the-top stressed. And I was looking at, too, just really quick, I was looking at the finances of sending one kid to college and one kid to private school. I was like, I can't do that if I live in California, but if I move out of California, I can still help the one with college and I can still help the other with private school. Hmm. So for me, it was really financially kind of based. The RV really only had maybe a year term on it. Like I was like, we might do this for a year, buy some land, use it as a homestead, live in the RV while we build a place, blah, blah, blah. I just fell in the lifestyle while on the road. I just didn't yeah. know that it was just going to be this cool and this different. Um, I, I, mean, I still got my eyes on a homestead idea, but I just feel like travel will always be part of it. And, I, and people can call me homeless all day long now. I don't care. Yeah. You can do it. It's all good. But I, I will love... This, Go ahead. My, R, my RV is actually a lot nicer than my last apartment, to be honest with you. <laughs> it really it's... is. Like, 
and it wasn't, I didn't live in a bad place, but it's just, this one is so much nicer. Yeah, no, really. and those, those fifth wheels for people that have never been in one, they usually go through some form of a shock. And I know, I know I've heard you talk about this. You're actually not a short guy. So you're like, what, six? How tall are you? Uh, almost six, seven. I don't know when you drop the half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like five, 11 and a half, you drop it. So technically I'm six, six and a half, but yes. a six, six is good enough. Now so that if, I have a son that's six, eight. So I'm if six, you were in our class A, our son-in-law is about six, three, six, four, and he, he kind of slumps his head down a little bit. He doesn't hit the roof, but hit the ceiling. So, but people walk in these fifth wheels, which we looked at those but we didn't have a truck. So we bought an old 2006 class a gutted the thing and got it for next to nothing truthfully. But I love real quick before I I forget this, there's something that you said that I just want to put an exclamation point on it. And that is how free you felt when you got rid of stuff, because I, I could not have imagined that, uh, you know, eight or nine years ago when we were living in the big house filled up, you know, 13 Christmas trees at one point that we had decorated all these rooms. But as we started getting rid of things, there was such a level of liberation. And I want to ask you this question. I, with what I do in business, I work with people on marketing and help them expand and help them sell stuff. You are a marketing guy with a background in magazine, director of marketing for, I I saw in your background, like the mattress business and things like that. Do you ever struggle at all with being marketing person to help people expand and accumulate and now realizing how free it is to not have stuff? I think about that from time to time. Do you? Yeah, I really, I I tell everyone that even that I still consult with is, you need to solve a real problem. Don't make someone want something out of, you know, some sort of impulse buy. So even the mattress company, I was like, let's stop talking about the product. Let's talk, let's talk about sleeping well. Uh, meeting with the solar guy yesterday. Let's stop talking about solar. Let's talk about being free. You can go wherever you want. You know, it's more about experience. But um, I will say that there is something about our brain, all of us, that want to collect them. I mean, I've interviewed people that, had a four-bedroom house and three of the bedrooms were closet, just so they could have they had more clothes than what they could ever wear if they wanted to. Kind of, a thing. But they found that their identity was in that, and it was really kind of just holding them back from living a real life. And I'll be honest, like, look, I got laid off since being on the road, but it didn't affect me the way it did in 2014. And it's because you know the money coming in and the money going out were a completely different, you know, pendulum in a way where back in 2014, the money that was coming in was not even enough that was going out, and it just it, it kills you. So that's the thing I like about the lifestyle. Is there's only so much you can own, because you've got 400 yeah. square feet. You don't have a seven storage, plus you've got some weight limits. You know? So at some point, it's just even dangerous to have too much stuff. And I feel like we should all have that. I mean, honestly, one of the things that's interesting in and around kind of COVID is you know, there's limits of you know, like how many people can be at a pool or how many people can be close to you. And I'm kind of like, hey, can we keep these? Like afterwards, because this is nice that instead of 150 people at the pool, there's only 40. You know, it's really, and that not everyone can stand a foot from me. You got to back up a little. That's nice too. I don't turn around, and bump into people as much as I used to, which is nice. Everyone's kind of respecting their space. I'm like, I think cool if those things stick around for a little while. Yeah, I kind of like that too. You know, I, my my wife and I've said this all the time. We love people. We're not fans of crowds. 
And so it's really interesting. We're going to have to be extremely intentional about how we connect and interact with people. So I do want to ask. Let me one, say this too, really quick about about freedom, really quick, or just change. Sure. Um, I've been a, I've been a city kid. I, I make this dumb joke: is that I, I was born in Seattle. I learned to walk in Boston. I learned to talk in New York, and I learned to run in Los Angeles. Oh wow! I was in Los Angeles, probably about forty years of my at the time forty six before I moved out. I thought I was a big city kid. I love big cities. Thrived in them. I loved all that energy. It was probably within about six months being in some of these small rural areas. Even my roommate, you know, she's from the town of like 400. I just love that environment so much more. Yeah. But I never knew that. I never lived in those environments. You know, yeah. I mean? now that I'm in these small little towns where people actually know each other and, you know, everyone, the whole idea of, I'll give you a quick story. We were staying on someone's farm recently here in Indiana. And I was telling them, hey, when we come back through, we'll look you guys up. Maybe you'll still be here and we can come visit. And they're like, Damien, if we're not here, you can still come and stay. Wow. And I was like, what? That's nuts. You can't have me come on your property when you're not home on the inside. That's my L.A. brain. You know what I mean? Like, you don't do that. People don't go to someone's house when they're not there unless they're house sitting. And it just, it's really changed a lot in me that California and Los Angeles, and not that it's a, a bad place. I, I know a lot of people don't like California. They've never been to California. I can't understand that, but whatever it is. But for me, it's more just that the big city, doesn't matter where the big city is, has that kind of environment where people don't know each other. The smaller towns, everyone kind of knows each other, not in a nosy way, but just in a real trusting way. You know, they leave their keys in their cars. So yeah. They don't lock their doors. I'm like, oh, that's such an amazing life. I just didn't know it was available. Yeah. Has, has it changed? Has this lifestyle changed your perspective on people at all maybe related to what you just said and and what are some of those paradigms maybe preconceived notions because i think we become very narrow based on where we live where we grow up where we are and i don't want to use words like you know we we could use some stronger words than that but i grew up in the south and we have spent a good portion of our rv time out west and listen, I'm going to go ahead and fess up. Being where I'm from, we thought that most people in L.A. and California and Oregon were, you know, I could use some pretty negative words here, but, you know, communist, socialist, whatever. We could get political or, or just, you know, left wing, whatever, whatever we could use terms. So how about for you, what are some preconceived notions or paradigms just about people that have either surprised you or you go, huh, maybe I was not totally correct about my thoughts about people because mine's changed quite a bit. Yeah, I think there's a couple things. So for me, obviously, I grew up in a part of Los Angeles that kind of almost burned down during the 1992 riots. I was going to a school that a white kid hadn't gone to since like the 50s or 60s. So my upbringing was a lot different than most. And I really did live in a melting pot. And I just I knew people of all different types of religion, race, sexual orientation, everything, different economical backgrounds. Yeah. I didn't go to my local elementary school. I went to a very wealthy neighborhood elementary school. I had to, you know, ride a bike a little further to go there. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting for me to cross the street called Olympic that white kids just didn't cross in the seventies and eighties. And I was like, I lived in two different lifestyles. So for me, I've just been exposed to it. And I had parents that were very open to everything that, you know, I mean, my next door neighbor was a black kid that was Jehovah Witness. My other best friend was an Hispanic Catholic. I had a really great white friend that was Mormon. So I like had all this really cool hodgepodge. So I didn't have any ideas of what the media or television or movies were telling me because I lived in it. My two closest 
best friends growing up in high school were being raised by their dad. And they were both black. And they were being raised by their black fathers. And uh, if you ever watch The Office, he's passed away now, but Hank, the security guard, uh, you know, that's Mr. Dane to me, you know, Papa Dane. You know, that was my buddy's dad. And so for me, all these ideas that people want to maybe showcase and, and make it as reality, it's not reality for me. And so the same thing when I came out here, I've noticed when I'm in the South or in different areas, I have people ask me, are all people from California as cool as you and relaxing you? I'm like, I mean, that's just who we are. I did get rid of my California place as soon as I could. I got South Dakota place. I became a South Dakota resident just like you did, just because of that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, but I will say that um, the salt of the earth is a term that when I was on the West Coast, I didn't really feel. When I'm out here staying on farms and meeting people that are just, just some of the hardest working people I've ever met, they are just very trustworthy and they just give you anything. Like I always talk about it in the RV lifestyle. If you're having a hard time meeting someone, get outside and pop a tire off your rig. People will come over. You know, start working on your rain gutters. I worked on my rain gutters in California. No one, none of my neighbors came out and wanted to help me clean my rain gutter. You know what I mean? And so that part I really liked. I think there is some stuff that, you know, that goes both ways yeah. that we get taught, you know, and um, I've learned a ton on the road. It opened my eyes to a lot as well. And I've just really enjoyed the community. And it's not to say that there are in any community, in every city, wherever you are, there is that group. There's that one, five, ten percent. They're just awful human beings no matter where they are. And I've learned very much not to say, okay, well, if it's one, it's all of them. That's not the case. And I think when you get out and experience it, it's really good. But I do I do hold back telling people I'm from Los Angeles a lot of times. And I'm sad because I really, really enjoyed the lifestyle. I didn't, I didn't have any of those politics that everyone keeps talking about. It didn't affect my life in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's, you know, whatever's going on in California is not going to come to Texas. You're okay. Oh, the funny thing I do notice on this trip is that when I say, like, oh, I'm living at Oklahoma, maybe Texas, is like, well, whatever you do, don't bring your California ways with you. And I'm like, you're not even from Texas or Oklahoma. You're from Vermaine. You're from Florida. You moved here, too. You're, you're just as much of a transplant as I would be. You're, uh, you're not a local. Give me a break. Give me your rules. You brought stuff here. So, but it's been good. I really, I think, just real quick, I will say that I wish from 18 to 21, people didn't go to college. I wish people jumped in an RV and traveled the country. I think there's so many things you learn about our country, about people, about yourself, living with less, traveling, living in smaller quarters. If I ever built a house, maybe 800 square feet and 100 square foot of it would be a shower. Yeah. So I'd have a big 10 by 10 shower. That's what we're, we're actually considering getting a, a piece of land in some places. And what we do is we drive around, we look for places, we, we use the term nourish our soul, that we like the atmosphere, we like the people, we like maybe some local restaurants, you know, when you can go to restaurants. We like, um, you know, the weather and the climate and things. And, uh, and you know, we've looked at some spots, it's like, you know, we're, well, I've got a background in real estate, so I'm, I know that we're probably going to have a correction here soon. I'm just going to pick up a chunk of land and we may put a barn type facility with a one bedroom and a kitchen and still pull our RV in it and maybe put a few tiny homes on the property, you know, for our kids. I mean, that's kind of, we're thinking and, you know, we going back lived in a big old huge home in a country club golf course community. So that's a huge paradigm shift there. So anyway, man, there's so many things I'd love to ask you about the lifestyle and y'all's rhythms, but I want to get to, uh, 
to 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 the magazine and I want I want to kind of do some business kind of discussions about that. So earlier you brought us right up to the point where you were about to start that and you were talking about people really wanting uh, you know, you were thinking digital, which totally makes sense if you really understand digital, <laughs> digital nomads by digital nomads. That seems like what you would do. And I think I remember I was on your email list. I was seeing this bit of a outcry. I don't know what it was of, hey, can we get a print edition? So what did you go through there? And I think that may lead into Kickstarter, which I'd love to talk some about. So tell us about that. Yeah, so my background is in print. I mean, there was no digital in the 90s. And even in 2000, I was talking to someone recently in 2006 when I was talking to my advertiser. I was like, can you email me that photo? They're like, how do I attach an email? It's not that long ago that people didn't know how to use digital. And so I was really excited about digital because it just made sense with nomads. They could just read it on their iPad, read it on their computer, pull out their iPhone, take a look at it. And I was surprised with a lot of the pushback where we were saying, hey, we'll probably come out with print in 2021. Do you think that's the age? Do you think that's the age of some of the people? Because some there is like a skew older, or why do you think that is? I mean, have you have you analyzed that at all? No, I mean, I did have a lot of people that say we spend a lot of time disconnected. It's really fun to just have our magazines and not worry about internet connections. So that was interesting. I, I mean, look, I still get my ink in my fast company, my entrepreneur magazine, and what's good about us is we're we're not a news source. Everything we do is evergreen. And so, you know, and I'll talk a little bit about it. Even if you pick up episode, issue one, all of that information is just live and ready. There isn't a lot that's changing through that. So I think that was one of the things that I was surprised about. I, the only thing that's really surprised me is print is that people are signing up for subscriptions now for issue, let's say, five. And they're also purchasing issues one to four. That I didn't think would ever even happen. I just thought once an issue's out, it's dead. Uh, the other thing about digital that I learned was the same kind of concept was even though we only sent out X amount to issue one as we were growing, it's a five X to issue four, but issue one has been downloaded just as many times as issue four. Really. So people are going back and be like, Ooh, I want more of this information. I was really surprised. So here I am as a salesperson marketing, Hey, we have a, a subscriber list of 2,500 in issue one. And I'm trying to sell that, not realizing that these advertisers are going to get as many as issue four five and six that are looking at it because people go back and check out the issue. And I was really surprised that I didn't see that in kind of digital. I am, I'm really thankful that we didn't have a print model, like especially a Barnes and Noble or like airport distribution situation because we would have got crushed in and around COVID. And those bookstores closed, airports closed. And if all your advertising is dialed into, we print 50,000, 100,000, whatever the number is, and you're not printing them or you're not distributing them, then you've got to do some backtracking with your advertisers. So I'm really glad that that wasn't our model, that our model was digital focus, you know, with a minor in print. And um, you know, we don't even really push it that hard. I keep pushing the digital subscriptions, which are free. Well, we'll talk about that. But the print is people pick up because they still really like to hold and feel a magazine. From a marketing standpoint, print is really powerful because one is, like even the campground I'm at now, was talking to him about advertising. I want to hand it to him. He's like, ooh. It's a real magazine. I was like, what do you think it was? It was, it was fake? Yeah, it's a real magazine. Um, and, but is that people take pictures of the print and share it. And I've had a few take pictures of the digital. They'll take a picture of them like on their iPad reading it. But the majority of the social shares have come from my print subscribers where they receive the actual 
physical copy and then they'll take a picture of them reading it or looking at it or you know, put it on the grass or on a hammock and there's this resource. And so there was that that I didn't really know that would happen. And uh, it's been really powerful for us because as soon as you know, someone's in the magazine, we send them a copy and now they're sharing it in a way yeah. that I just don't think they might do with a digital version of it. So it's really powerful in business. It doesn't, I think it'll always be like an 80-20 split. I think 80% is always going to be digital um, unless we get into retail or we decide to go the like camping world funds and mobile airport kind of route and have them on stands for people to purchase. Is there a perceived value difference between, I mean, listen, I've been doing digital newsletters and things for 15, 20 years and now I have a, a actual novel that's coming out and I want that to be in print, but I know it's going to, you know, sell uh, digital. So what's the, what's the perceived value for people? Do you, do you kind of have an understanding of that? Yeah. So I, I've had some interesting conversations because obviously once I did it, well, it was all print. And so I'll use my skate magazine example. When we started, we had about 25,000 circulation. They were available on stands for free pickup, like an LA weekly, a Pepsi weekly, in, in Southern California skate shops, all the way from Santa Barbara to San Diego. I would tell them that I have a print of 25,000. Now, what's also funny, too, in the print industry, especially magazines, you can do a 5X. You, you can say, we have 125,000 readers, because on average, every magazine is read by five people, which, I don't know. I have my Ink magazine. I think doesn't read it. That would only be read by me, unless I just drop it off. So I don't know how they get those numbers, but it makes me laugh. But I can't guarantee that they were picked up. I just can guarantee that I print 25,000. But when someone is signing up, double off in email, and they are emailing me saying, hey, uh, for some reason I didn't get it. I'm like, oh, check your junk folder. Oh, there it is. Thank you so much. And, uh, I can tell you everyone that has given me their email address has wanted this publication. And so for me, it's more of a, an actual customer. Both are, are free kind of publications driven by advertising. But one is maybe it'll get picked up. And the same as my city paper. We did about 50,000, but about 30,000 were thrown in driveways. Again, I can't tell you someone just picked it up and put it as a, whether they're trying to train, train, or train their puppy or start a fire or what they used it for. But people were like, well, it's a good circulation. It's, you know, 50,000. Like you'd rather have 5,000 going to people that want to read it than 50,000 that maybe 90% don't yeah. read it. Because you because you can track opens, you can also track clicks via the document. I mean, I'm I'm looking through ads and things, and if I click through that, I'm going to ask about the business model shortly. But I, I love the aspect of keeping up with things. But before we I, I'm, we are going to go in the business model, I want to talk briefly about the Kickstarter as we wrap up here. But there's a quote that I read from you, and it might have been on your LinkedIn when I was kind of snooping around and checking you out. Uh, and I'm just going to read this because you were speaking about something related to social media because you actually have a background in that arena. But to me, it applies here also. And I'm either going to let you agree or disagree with me and, and maybe expand on it. You said in the social media arena, my credo is the most effective way to build brand loyalty is to entertain and educate consumers simultaneously. The key is to create content that is liked and more importantly, shared. And what I was going to ask is, does that apply to Rootless Living, the magazine also? And what I want you to do maybe is tell us how to do that for the listener that's going, okay, 
instead of just dump, sell, 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 dump info, 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 how do you entertain and educate consumers simultaneously? Yeah, so I'll go back to the mattress business. I mean, taking a shift from, they were a very traditional mattress manufacturer, natural materials, double-sided mattress. I didn't know you wanted a mattress you could flip upside down. That meant nothing to me at the time, you know, early 40s. I didn't know anything about that. So their messaging was all wrong. For me, it was like the the whole idea of a mattress is to sleep better. And why aren't we talking about sleep? And so I think it's really focusing on the lifestyle, the energy, the the kind of fun, the problem solving, as opposed to sell, 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 sell. And I think when you really build trust and relationships and you're giving away so much information for free and helping them truly understand the benefits of using your product or service, it kind of sells itself. Like even me were, you know, something I'm adding to the podcast, I haven't really talked about it yet, is I'm going to be interviewing people that make products for RVers, but more talking about the history of how the product got started. And I, I have to tell them beginning, you guys don't have to do any selling. This whole interview is going to be, it's going to sell, you know, because you're talking about how the product got started, how you figured it out, how you figured out the molds, the patents, the trademarks, and what it is that it does and then i'll leave the link below it's going to sell itself you don't have to try to do all the things to get excited i think a lot of times too we get caught in our own jargon our own industry speak and we don't realize that we are saying things that people just don't understand and when i was talking about this yesterday that 90 percent of your customers only need to know 10 percent of what you do you know what i mean there are some that really need to like yeah. You know, what kind of uh, coils do you use in that spring? But most don't. And you just need to talk about the things they really care about, which is sleeping well or whatever it is the product or service. For me, it's, you know, being a full-time nomad and getting unstuck and just talking about that and showcasing that and making sure people understand it. Once they, you kind of hit that pain point for them, they're going to tune in. But if you really design your stuff to sell, it usually doesn't. But if you design yourself to educate and entertain, and I, I'll go back even to the mattress. I wanted to do this thing called Dick Dollar. It was a sales guy. And that was his name. And he's that cheesy mattress salesman that we all know. And at the end was like, you'll never have an experience like that here. But just making fun of it even is really powerful and fun. And, and I don't get why people are scared to entertain that way. And I think that's where people, I mean, look, we all watch the Super Bowl for the funny commercials. But yet nobody's making funny commercials. And I'm like, why? You guys are all learning from the best minds and the best companies and shot and dead. These guys, they spend millions to, you know, have people make this stuff. You can be a funny realtor. You can be a funny plumber. You can have these funny moments and teach stuff. And I don't get it. Like, people are so scared of it. Educate and entertain. Awesome. I love doing it. So how do you do that with Rootless Living? Give us some of the, the... I don't know if practical, but like you're putting together a magazine, you're putting together stories. What is it natural for you or is it intentional? Is there some strategy with the actual entertain and educate consumers simultaneously? I keep going back to that statement because I think that so many people out there that are trying to create something are missing that. So tell us maybe how you do it or is there a way that you make sure you're balancing those two? Yeah, I think really the, the main thing is, is the, to not focus on the selling. So we're not, we're not really doing anything in the magazine where we're really trying to sell anything. What we really want to do through the educational part, you know, whether it's learning about where to boondock or learning how to renovate an RV or you know, what kind of products you need to make the lifestyle better, it's just 
really the, the educational part there is, is there. That's easy to do. It's easy to find. You know, Mickey does a great job. The entertaining part of it is just telling the, the kind of interesting story that you haven't heard in a way. And, but we really like it being from someone else's voice too, because that's the other thing too, is that you can get really stale in your own voice and bringing other people's voices are really powerful. And I think we learned that real quick. Like we were like, you know, Damien and Nikki, I'll say it this way. I've been saying it a while. We have a really interesting lifestyle, but our lifestyle doesn't make us interesting. I think people forget that because there are people that have bricks and sticks that are way more interesting than a lot of people that are living full time in an RV. So, and it really has to do with wherever you go, there you are. The lifestyle itself is what we're, is, it's kind of the minor. The major is the people that are doing it. What's really making them stand out and making them interesting. And I think what people start to realize is, hey, that sounds like me. And so because we're not focused on one type of lifestyle or one type of demographic or how long they've been doing it or how they're doing it, we're basically hitting everyone at some point. And, and I'm a big believer that not everyone is your customer. If everyone's your customer, you don't know who your customer is. But in this lifestyle, it's a little easier to be like, if you're wanting to be a nomad or you are a nomad, you want to see yourself, you know? And I think this is where, you know, kind of like the television background for a lot of people, they never saw themselves on TV or anyone that looked like them or acted like them. And once we really started seeing some diversity in our shows and in our movies is when the whole industry really took off. It's the same thing with the publications. We just want to showcase everyone. And it's interesting. We've, we've had four issues. And already, and if I look at the industry as a whole, the RV industry, let's say, our diversity in our community and in our magazine is far beyond anything I've seen. You know, and it's not even something like where we say, well, we got to make sure we get a solo traveler in this issue. You know, it's just, it's just the app to talk to someone that's solo or, you know, they've adopted four kids and hit the road or this person has 13 dogs and travels the country, you know, whatever it is. It's an interesting story that comes out. So just don't focus so hard on the, how are we going to sell it? How are we going to monetize it? Just worry about how we're going to build the community. I think the other yeah. stuff comes. It does take a while, but it comes. Yeah, that's good. One thing you said is interesting. We've had people that have told us, oh, y'all would be such a fascinating reality show. And I, go, I went, no, we wouldn't. It would, be, <laughs> it would be an incredibly boring reality show. They would have to be making stuff up, which a lot of reality shows do anyway. But, uh, you know, uh -huh. our life, you know, we move, we stay one place a month or two and we do our business. We go explore and travel and live. We just live our life in cool places. So, that's interesting. One thing I'd love for you to do, Damien, is actually tell us a little bit, as much as you're willing to share, about the business model of the magazine. And, and if you want to throw in a little bit about how you kind of jump-started it with Kickstarter, and I think a lot of people are fascinated with that, maybe some pros and cons. Just I just want you to maybe even share with us all that's involved. This might actually push people away from ever wanting to do it, but I think it's educational for us. How do you make money with a digital magazine? I sell ads, Senator. <laughs> That's a okay. question. Like, how you do Facebook sell ads? People pay for ads for that stuff? They really do? <laughs> um, so for us, it really was, we, we knew that was gonna, there was going to be a long tail to this, that we knew that we couldn't just come out the box and say, hey, you know, issue one's going to get emailed out to 2,000 people, send us X amount of money. But I had done enough research to see what the cost per thousand was in the industry of magazines. I said to myself, can I make a good amount of money if I'm either competitive or even really below 
And I instantly was shocked what the CPM was. I just was like, I can't believe it's that much money. That the amount of investment that a manufacturer or a, you know a mod company, and I'll use Snapchat as an example. Snapchat had to advertise in one of these really large publications. The amount of money that they would have to invest to then hope, you know, the amount of units they'd have to sell just to probably break even. It's just like wow. So that was the first thing I really looked at: is this CPM doable? And then I started looking at what's my cost to like really do this. Well, I have the skill set for layout and design. I'm not a writer, and I don't have an editing background, but Nikki has all that. So we instantly were like, okay, we can do this publication. And even, in, even though we had never designed anything together, I instantly learned that she has an amazing eye for design, too. So it just really plays off. So instantly we had the ability to get it done, where we didn't need anyone else. And now we're reliant on others for the content of photos and things of that nature. We get reached out to quite a bit. Um, and we were even surprised that, that happened so quickly for us before we even really established ourselves with people are like, we'd love to tell our story. We've had to help people understand what their story is and how to tell it because they're like, hey, we're full-time RVers. We'd love to tell our story. That's not a story. We're full-time RV. We live in a bricks and sticks. We live in an apartment. That's not a story. Yeah. And so just learning how to really cultivate kind of those conversations and bring it out to play. Um, and once you kind of just look at the, this is what it'll take from a time aspect to get it done and get it out. Now, how do I go out and sell it? But because of my background with both the skate mag and the city mag, I, I have memories of stuff. Like, you know, I want to start with kind of the smaller company, the campground, the mod, until you really grow it. And then you can go after the, the AT&Ts, the Ford, the manufacturers, and things of like that. So you're really going slow. Now, that's another thing is going slow once you get started. I already have three or four other magazine publication ideas in my head in and around this lifestyle. I think he's always like, hey, hold on, let's just get this one done. Uh, we are a six-time-a-year publication every other month. Um, I'd love to get to my eight issues a year and, you know, basically have every other month for like eight months, basically, and then have four months in a row. So like have the summer, May, June, July, August, you know, just month after month when most people are traveling anyway. And it's just learning those kind of models. And figuring out as you go and not really stressing so hard, but we're in a position where, you know, hopefully this will encourage someone. We started this with a hundred dollars because we had to put a hundred dollars into a checking account. to open a checking account. We didn't think about doing a Kickstarter. We just, because of the demand that was there, we instantly, I mean, it was like November one that someone mentioned that we're going to have to print the day we mentioned it. November 1, that we're going to do this magazine really publicly. Within a couple of days, people asked if we had print. I want to say by like November 18th, it was up on Kickstarter. Like I didn't even have a video. And you're supposed to have a video when you do Kickstarter. I'm a video guy. I just want to get it up there and get people to do it. And we basically said, what's the number that really makes sense for us to be able to do this for the year? We figured out that number, we doubled it. And we just said, if there really is the demand, if people put their money where their mouth is, it's great when people tell you they want something. Mm-hmm. them showing up and buying is going to be different. I've learned that from a lot of people. People, oh, everyone that watches my videos tells me they'll buy this if I do this. Well, it's not always true. So don't buy into that. So we really wanted to double it. And then if it didn't work out, it's okay. We're free and clear because we could say, hey, we'll come back in 2021 and talk about print then. And we were actually blown away. It really, it, it picked up really fast. We're like, wow, we're going to hit this goal really easy. And it did slow down for a while. 
But as we got closer, it's when it ramped back up where people were like, they started telling people, we want this in print, please buy this. And it just, it worked itself out. It didn't take a huge, that's the thing too, I really want to encourage people. It doesn't take a huge audience. Like I didn't have a massive mailing list and, you know, I, I didn't have a ton of connections. I have this little video series I'm doing. There are people that are following me because of the full-time lifestyle. But mostly it was that I built some really cool relationships where they wanted to see me succeed. So they came on board, but there were a lot of people outside that didn't know me, like yourself, didn't know me, but just knew that this was needed within our niche and wanted to jump on board and see that it was good. And I also just wanted to be in a position where I didn't owe anyone anything. Like, honestly, even in the beginning when I was talking to salespeople, I was, or, you know, trying to sell ads, I was trying to sell, like, I wouldn't go after the full year because I was at the time in January, like, I'm going to do this for a year and we'll sit down and, and look at it and see if it makes sense. Within issue one maybe but by issue two i was like i'm in it for the long haul let's do this let's figure it out and then you know, my brain went crazy like this is how we go we'll do events we'll do this blah 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 and uh, i just have to you know calm down and come back a little and just stay on track with what we're doing and you know like even being here in elkhart indiana the rv mecca of the world it's it's a different niche for me i've never experienced this if, you know if i was doing the skate magazine there's a city i could go to where 70 percent of all skate board kind of material stuff was made, how easy that would have been to build relationships and network. You know, it's all in one area. Those are all spread out over the country where I think the stat is it's something like 65% of all RVs are made in Elkhart, 80% are made in Indiana. So just being here in this state for my niche is really great. And being in the city is even better. And if you can find that kind of a niche, wow. Like yeah, I just, the niches are great. Like, honestly, this is real quick too. to people to... The Rootless Living magazine has my smallest potential audience of my other magazine ideas. They're all kind of related. But this one has the smallest readership possibility. It's, you know, full-time RVing. It's, you know, even though it's the term Rootless and you have people live on boats or live in Airbnbs or whatever. It's the smallest. Starting with the smallest is kind of the best because I can learn all these things before I go after really large market. Sure. And, uh, Starting Great. So this is going to be duplicated. It's, it's real interesting. I was watching your Kickstarter and this will give you a little bit of feedback on kind of the way some of us function. I saw it. I made a note as a reminder to check back in like a day or two before the end date, which kind of gives you this, you know, thought of, you know, it kind of levels off and then all of a sudden right at the end, probably a lot of people like me do, they check back in and go, oh, look, they're getting close. I'm going to sign up. I think I even signed up for the print. And I think I reached out to somebody and said, please don't mail it. Uh, but I want to just see what's going on and just kind of right, see right. under the hood. I just wanted to kind of be a part of it, which I think is a, a cool thing there. And um, anyway, so, so that's awesome. But one other thing before we wrap here, just a couple little questions as we finish up. Your timing to me, which you may or may not have had a lot of uh, real I guess, input into, you launched your first one in January of 2020. And three months later, everything goes on lockdown. And now it appears as if the trends are, a lot of people might try to live differently. Do you think your potential audience, which is very niche, very, very, very broken down and small, but they're, but they're also pretty rabid too. Right. Do you think your audience might expand? I mean, I'm kind of asking you to project out some trends. We talked about this at the beginning. Is that audience going to expand? Yeah, so it, this is a tough subject in a way because I feel bad because I know so many people that in and through COVID 
their business really suffered or it's gone. And so I say this with all love and sincerity and understanding of that people really suffered through this. For us, it really grew up because people were looking for alternatives. And, you know, and again, you said in the beginning that we have this travel, work, explore mentality. A lot of people were like, why is travel different than explore? These are different two, two different things. But the idea of work and like we're talking about people going remote and stuff, I do feel that it, it is really going to help us. It's springboard us in a way. I always talk about my goal for the first year was 10,000 subscribers and we hit that by issue three. And even though we're still growing, I tell advertisers 10,000. I just stick with that number. Like, hey, this is my first year goal. This is the number I'm using. And the communication, the, the launching, the people that are, we're about to do this, we're downsizing, we're out of here, we're moving. Even, it's funny that there are people that are moving from bricks and sticks in one year to another and they're still really understanding the this lifestyle and they're really understanding of getting rid of stuff, being more free, being a lot more pliable and, and being able to be able to move as things hit them in a way that I just don't think they ever saw themselves. And so that is, we did get lucky. And I, I talk about luck all the time because, you know, there's a lot of, let's say, we'll, we'll use YouTube as an example. There's a lot of people that go full-time RV and grab a camera and they're very successful. And they will tell you that they were early on. Most of those channels were in the 2015-16 realm when no one was really filming the day-to-day of living full-time. The people that are today buying an RV and a camera and it's 2020, they're not going to have the same success. There's just a different kind of the timing was good. Luck is kind of good. I hate to think of COVID as lucky in any way, shape, or form. So they don't. No. But I do think what, if you look at 2008 and the bounce back, a lot of that had to do with just digital, the way social channels started coming out, a whole new just kind of segment of businesses came out. I think we're going to see that from COVID, where remote and the freedom to move around and the what might even happen in and around real estate. I think all of those kind of industries are just going to get turned upside down. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually think this industry is right for turning upside down. This, the campground RV industry, you know, whatever happened to Airbnb with hotels and Uber with taxis, I think someone's going to figure that out and turn this whole industry upside down where this become a lifestyle that no one has to defend. Sure. You know, yeah. Last. There are people still have to defend it. Yeah, one one quick thing, I guess I just wanted to ask. This was kind of one of the first questions I wrote down before I even started doing my research. Is with the magazine Rootless Living, what is something either from the people you've interacted with or the process? What is something that has surprised you that you weren't able to plan for? And then I've got just a couple of questions. We're going to wrap up. So this is kind of like the final question before we do a couple of encores. Yeah, I think the surprises have been. Um, I've had businesses, but I've never had people be really passionate about my business, except for me and the people working. I've really been surprised about how grateful and appreciative people are for what we're creating. And that's blown my way. It's, it's, it's fuel that I just didn't know. You know, I mean, Nikki gets a lot more of that than I do just because she's dealing with all the content and, you know, getting people's stories told and they immediately reach out. And, you know, it's just, everyone was so excited to see it. It's like it's, it made us real to our family and friends because our lifestyle is now in a magazine like that kind of stuff. So for me, I just didn't expect that much appreciation for what we're doing. And um, that I've really enjoyed. I really enjoyed. And then 
the other thing too, you know, just a piece of business advice, obviously the term rootless was not being used. I mean, it, it's around, but it's not being heavily used the way I use it. And then even rootless living, like our hashtag, I could talk to people and say, hey, go look at the rootless living hashtag. So we created a hashtag that nobody can say, if we told people, hey, go look at the full-time RV hashtag or RV life hashtag, we didn't create that, you know, or nomad, digital nomad hashtag. Those are just all vague, ambiguous terms that other people have been using for a long time. But when I had a specific kind of hashtag that we created, it's really easy for me to say, go and look at the community. And what's really great is we started the conversations, but we can back up for, you know, even two, three, four days. And those rootless living conversations are still being had by people that are in the community yeah. And we're not even really involved in it. Or maybe we'll see a post if we take a couple of days off where it's like, oh, wow, this is already talked about. Let me go in and chime in and share it and talk about it. It's already kind of you know, caught on fire without it in a way, which I just didn't, I didn't expect. I didn't expect to have such kind of interesting brand loyalty so early on. That has to feel good, especially when we are somewhat on our own out in the world, the way we, we live, to know that there is a a group of people that is cheering, you know, excited about it, supporting it, and also awesome. Listen, one of the things I recommend for everyone, I'm going to ask you to let people know how they can connect with you and how they can tap into the rootless living, um, the whole, everything you've got going on. I am a big fan. My wife and I are fans. My son is a fan. Our, our whole family is a fan of the Rootless Living. I'll call it the brand, the, the community that you guys are creating because it speaks to so much that we do. So thank you for doing that. How can people connect with you and where can they find this, uh, this magazine? Yeah, so rootlessliving.com is kind of the hub of everything, um, kind of like I hinted towards. The digital version is still currently free. And, um, you know, if you grab a subscription right now, I, I am still, you know, and I know there's a lot of business people listen. I'm still toying between will I ever charge for digital? I probably will, but it's going to be a while before I hit that number where I'm like, okay, now we have X amount. They're probably grandfathered in or, you know, something to that effect. So it's still free. So go ahead and grab it. There's no like, well, now that it's free and you have to put a credit card in, it's not that specific. First name and an email. Um, we really only email people when the magazine's coming out. Maybe you can attest to that. You're not really going to get another email from us mm-hmm. at all. Um, we don't sell it. We don't use it to promote anything. It's just it's just a way of us letting you know that the magazine is available for download, and that's what it is. You can buy a print subscription. Um, I'll be very transparent. They are $49 a year. We don't make any money on that at all. We actually lose money on that, and that's just because of the quantities that we're printing right now. At some point, It'll be a moneymaker, but you'll also see me drop the price at some point, too, because of that. But it takes a, it takes a large quantity to really get that down, where you're getting the print cost down, you're getting the postage, the handling, all that down. And it's time-consuming and hard to do, especially on the road. So I've had some people, $49, I can get so-and-so for 19 something. Like, then just get the free. They don't have a free version, I bet. Grab the free. You'll be really happy with it. It's a great thing. But if you want print, you want it in hand, it's a quality publication, um, I will stack my magazine in print against anyone out there that's doing a magazine right now. Um, and I feel like our quality of the print, what's in it, the content is just far none. And those people have been doing it 20 years were issue four, about to be issue five. Uh, next issue comes out first week of September. And our last, and it's going to be all about RV renovation and mods. So if you're really interested, we try to keep a theme to each one. But there's a lot of things that we see themselves. 
boondocking renovations, party on the road, how to make money on the road, how to work on the road. Those kind of things are always trickled in into issue. And then our last thing is really going to be able to issue think about gear guide and manufacturers and things like just know where to find stuff that you're looking for. And um, yeah, and probably our biggest social channel is Instagram. That's really where we hang out and play. It's Rootless Living Mag. Um, I'll give some advice. Be careful when you start talking about what you're going to do because <laughs> someone might sneak in and grab a, an ad. I don't understand why someone would have a, an ad Rootless Living that, that meant nothing. So somehow something got snuck in before I was able to lock it down. So on Instagram, it's at Rootless Living Mag, M-A-G. Everything else is Rootless Living, Facebook, Twitter, and obviously the domain. So we spend most of our time um, on Instagram. And that's really where we're showcasing the stuff. And yeah, people yeah. have conversations. Excellent. Very good. And uh, you kind of answered a question I have, which is what's next. You kind of gave us a glimpse of some of the upcoming, uh, upcoming um, publications. And I do want to tell you, one of the features I love is how well you guys make the options available even for digital because I sometimes read on an iPad. I sometimes jump on a phone and y'all have a great way. Y'all have two formats, even for digital great feature, just some feedback for you. That is awesome. I love it. Damien, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation and, you know, probably because of the, the industry we're in, you and I can have a chat for a long time. We need, do need to wrap here. So last question, this podcast is seek, go create. That's our title. And I just want to ask, I like to ask guests, which one of those words jumps out to you and why, and what kind of meaning does it have for you? So, you know, all three I really enjoy and all three are really part of my life. I will say that uh, I'm going to pick the word go, but I'll tell you just one thing about seek. Um, I'm a guy that spends a lot of time planning things and talking about things and not doing anything. And I'll own that. And I think a lot of the thrill and the energy came from telling everyone about your great idea that you have that you just never ran with. The go is so much more important to me. Um, I have a little fun project I do called the Road to 1000. I'm trying to record a video every day for a thousand days in a row. I'm on day 860. I, when I started day one, it was the day before that I decided to do it. And back then, it was just going to be called Road to 300. I'm just going to try to do 300 videos in a year, give myself some days off if I needed it. No planning, no discussing, no announcing, nothing. And even the magazine, we knew we were going to do the magazine as of January 1st of 2019. We didn't talk about it really publicly until November. So just, it's better to go. You know, I mean, definitely do some research. It's the kind of idea that the go is so important. You'll figure it out. Same thing with this lifestyle. Don't try to figure it out, then go. It, it just, I, as a parent, if I waited until I was ready to have kids, I never would have had kids. No one's ever ready. And so it's the same thing here. You just need to go. That's excellent. Excellent. Damien, thank you so much. And thank Nikki for allowing you to take the time. I know you guys are a team. So uh, thank her for all that she does for this project. I really appreciate you sharing with us today. If as a listener, you would like to continue this conversation, we welcome that. We encourage you to do that. Go to seekgocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com to comment on this specific episode. You can also share it with all your socials and and you can contact us there and communicate with us. Visit the site, give us your best email address, and we'll also you'll also be in a position to never miss an episode. And we'll make sure that you have some bonus items for free that we'll include if you provide your email address. You can also find us and communicate on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 
and we do have seat go create on all of those all of those locations so we were excited that we're able to grab that thanks again for joining us we look forward to connecting with you on the seat go create podcast in the near future